But before we get started, just so you know, Cody, um, we Adam has a really good Jar Jar Binks impersonation, but that's all we have. Uh, do you have a good Yoda impersonation? I can try. <laughs> I can try. <laughs> <laughs> Young, young Skywalker. <laughs> nope. Welcome, everyone, to episode 13 of Ghost Party Radio, an in-depth and very serious exploration into the world of genre film, hosted by two small-time cowards. I'm your host, Adam Cervantes-Wagner. Allow me to introduce my co-host, the sandy scum himself, Trevor Dillon. Okay. All right. Welcome, everybody. I am actually your host. Um, Do you think that when listeners uh, hear this episode and they hear you talk first, they think, "Uh uh-oh, it's an Adam episode? I think they're probably pretty excited. They're driving down the freeway and they're like, all right, let's check it out. Every time it starts with you doing the intro, they just pump their fists like, yes, Trevor's not doing the episode. Yeah, they honk their horns. Uh, Adam, uh, we've had an hour of technical difficulty uh, before this episode, so I am like a rat in a cage. I'm ready to go talk about some Star Wars. Excellent. Well, before we get into it, uh, Trevor, do we have any listener reviews? Oh, you know what? This is the first episode we've recorded since our podcast has gone live. We dropped our entire first season. Even our Flash Jordan episode uh, came out when we hadn't dropped the podcast yet. So we do finally have a listener review on the iTunes store. Excellent. Let's hear it. All right. This came in on Friday from a listener, Sorry Somehow, and the title of the review is Stop. And the body of the review says, if Trevor says Leper talks to one more time, I'm going to rip my teeth out and nail them to you. Excellent. That's the hero we needed. Thank you for speaking up. And you know what? Sorry Somehow, uh, I listen to criticism well, and I am going to stop saying Leber talks. The reason I was saying Lebertox is because in some distant galaxy, I thought that one day Letterboxd would pay us uh, to have a sponsorship on this podcast, but I wouldn't say their name correctly until they paid us. But today I am vowing to the fans of the show that I will stop saying Lebertox and I will start saying Letterboxd. Thank you so much. Sorry, somehow um, you're a real hero. But for the record, sorry, somehow did give us five stars. (laughs) excellent and if you want to hear your review at the top of the show uh please rate us five stars and roast us uh not to date the uh show anyway adam but this is being recorded the closest to valentine's day uh, of any episode we've recorded uh do you have anybody you want to give a special shout out to out there uh yeah absolutely special shout out to uh trevor's girlfriend for always supporting me (laughs) she's been a, a real great force in my life and I want to give a special shout out to my Valentines, all of the listeners of Ghost Party Radio. You guys complete me. Adam, I have my friggin' R2D2 shirt on right now. Let's get into it. Let's uh let's 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 get our guest in here. Absolutely. So coming to you live from the nostalgic nebula is our fantastic guest for this episode, Captain Cody Chavez. How you doing, Cody? Captain on the deck. Hook! <laughs> Hello, everybody. This is Coney. How are you doing, guys? We're doing good. We're doing good. Uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, now, you are a big fan of genre films, so we've heard. What is your favorite genre? It's got to be horror. Uh, I, As Nostalgic Nebula, I've done so many 
um, films in various genres from sci-fi to action to horror but it really always comes back to horror being my favorite being Halloween my my favorite time of the year and all so you know I, I love the spooky excellent tell us a little bit about a, a nostalgic nebula uh, well let's see we got our start back in 2016 over at the beautiful Frida Cinema where we met you all um, and basically we wanted to start doing events um, that made film screenings a little bit more immersive, a little bit more interactive with people. So we, when we first started out, we, you know, we had a, we did Ninja Turtles from 1990. We had a costume character show up. Uh, we set up some decorations. We had a really cool backdrop set up for people to take photos. So you know, we wanted to get people engaged. And then over time, we've changed things up from one event to the other. We'll incorporate a string quartet to perform a tribute to the film score before the movie plays. Uh, every once in a while, we'll get a filmmaker involved with the movie to come on down for a Q&A. And then uh, recently, you know, during the pandemic, we've been doing a series of YouTube watch parties where we get the cast and crew of a movie together. We all watch the movie and basically do live director's commentary and broadcast it over YouTube. Excellent. Yeah, I used to love going to and seeing what you would uh, pull out for Nostalgic Nebula screenings. I know the uh, Ghostbusters one was very cool. You had the lobby decorated. I think you had like a Proton game going on. And I gave a, a bunch of uh, of uh, Twinkies. Gotta love the Twinkies for that Ghostbusters. Right. And I, uh, I also I got to see uh, Watchmen with David Hayter, voice of Solid Snake, do Q&A, which is very cool. That was a lot of fun. Uh, he was coming straight from a Hollywood shindig party and, and was gave the time to grace us with a wonderful Q&A. You know, people were swarming him. The fans of his Metal Gear Solid work and everything like that, his voiceover work. Uh, yeah, we, we, had, we, we needed security for that night, but it was a lot of fun having David Hayter over there. Uh, David Hader was really cool. I don't want to tell tales out of school here, but he was up in the projector room while I was doing work, and he just kind of walked up and just kind of blended in. It was just real cool with everybody up there, and like uh, you got him some pizza, and I remember it being like uh, we've had some guests who have like very specific writers at the at the uh, theater who need like this or that very very specific, but he was just like, oh yeah, pizza, whatever. I'll just have like whatever type of pizza you got. I'll just have that pizza, and I was like, that's like so low maintenance and so cool. Uh, now I've become a huge fan of him, and I follow him on Twitter, and I really enjoy his stuff. Yeah, well, speaking of David Hayter, uh, Cody, what makes for a good horror movie? You know, for me personally, I love a little bit of mystery. You know, I don't want everything solved uh, by the end and wrapped up in a nice little bow. Uh, not necessarily, you know, the cliffhanger or, or at the end or the, you know, obvious uh, uh, opening for a sequel, but... Mm. You know, I, 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 li I like when uh, there's some mythos behind it, you know, if whether it be based off of actual myths like Greek and stuff. I love when things reach back to that and our primal nature. When, when, when you get to the, the basic fears of people, mm -hmm. that's what I love to see in horror. Interesting. What are some of your favorites? Oh, definitely the Hellraiser, uh, the first two Hellraiser films. Love nice. those. Did a great... Um, watch party with that with the cast and crew the writer the actors Cenobites uh, Doug Bradley um, the, as I said myths play a big part into that and it's just a really great story which is really about a couple of serial killers in the first movie 
but back in the shadows are these demons and you don't really you really only see them maybe for a couple minutes throughout the film but you know it it reaches into you wanting more and then of course they explore that further in the second movie Hmm. Uh, Cody, we've done 13 of these episodes. We've asked every guest what their favorite genre of cinema is. And the crazy thing about genre cinema is that we haven't had a single repeat answer so far. But you were the first person to repeat. I believe Ian in our very first episode said horror. So now you are saying horror. So um, I'm really excited to eventually get to horror movies. And I want to say this. I didn't write this down. But uh, the thing that always fascinates me about Cody and his events is that um, as someone who does literally programs for a living like I do, and trying to figure out what my audience likes, uh, specifically at the Frida Cinema, Cody will come to me with an idea for an event, and he'll pitch it to me. And it's, I don't, Cody, have I ever said, have we ever said no uh, to any of your pitches? No, some of them you should have, but I'm glad he didn't. It was a great learning experience. Great learning experience. Well, here's the reason why I, I would never say no is because you will have an idea to pitch a movie that I would never think about playing at the theater. And there was no reason to say no because you would always take that movie and you would theme it out so well that there would always be people who would show up for it. I have a few that would stick out in my mind, like Resident Evil. I like the first Resident Evil, but I probably wouldn't program at the theater because I would be afraid nobody would show up. But you deck out the lobby and make it look like Umbrella Corporation and all that, and it was like completely sold out. And you, you've had a few of those where I'm just like, this isn't going to work out. There's no way this is going to work out, but I'm excited because Cody's going to do it. And then it like sells out. And I'm just like really impressed by your ability to tap in. Uh, 13 Ghosts is another one. Your, your ability to, to tap into a very niche genre of fans. No, yeah, thank you. No, I definitely love doing that because, uh, you know, I could go straight for the big movies that I know people show up for, like Beetlejuice, which we did do, but we got uh, the special effects guy, Robert Short, to show up for a Q&A. But I love to do movies, like you said, like 13 Ghosts, where it's a little bit more niche. And I know that it's the people that I'm going after are the super fans, the people that I know who, will, when they show up, if they see some decoration that might be kind of something obscure pulled from the movie, I love when I see people comment on that. And I, I love to cater to that, you know, the people who are uh, really just in love with these films, like 13 Ghosts, uh, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. <laughs> you know, that that's one that I like that one. I know not a lot of people have that at the top of their list for a Freddy Krueger movie. But we had Ricky Dean Logan over her. We had Rat Matsui over the special effects guy who made this uh, makeup for uh, for a lot of the uh, gross out scenes. And but you know it was a ton of fun. People showed up in costume. There was Freddy dressed up as the the Wicked Witch version of Freddy from that movie. Uh, somebody came dressed up as Johnny Depp's character from that movie, who was a a parody of the "This Is Your Brain on Drugs" uh, commercials. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. I I love having those people over to a place like the Frida Cinema. Yeah, Cody, thank you so much for doing that. You're really uh, making cinema even more fun and going to theaters, really something special. Yeah, Cody, I'm waiting on us to do uh, that screening of Congo that you've always been talking about, because I absolutely love Congo. <laughs> I cannot wait to somehow shoehorn that into this show. That's our second Congo reference. Oh, oh you're going to hear plenty of Congo. We did the uh, Cody, we did The Crow, which Ernie Hudson is in. So I took that opportunity to talk about uh, Ernie Hudson and Congo. Oh, wonderful. Well, all I have to say is... Stop eating my sesame cake. Absolutely. Classic line. Uh, 
Adam, I'm going to ask Cody a question here because I am now hosting this episode. Uh, <laughs> Cody, what is your history with space opera on film? This is the genre that we've decided to do uh, as season two. Season one, as you know, uh, as a devoted listener of this show, is uh, Revenge. But season two is space operas. Do you have any favorite space operas? And what do you think of when you think of space operas? All right. Well, one that I, I only saw it recently. I loved Barbarella. I got to see that on TMC, I think, was playing it maybe a couple of months ago or that might have been a year ago. You know how time flies by during a pandemic. It's already 2021. Um, loved Barbarella. I keep missing Flash Gordon. The Frida, they played that a couple of weeks ago, didn't they, at the drive-in? Yeah, we did it on a double feature with Xanadu. Both of them would turn 40. Uh, that's right. They both came out in 1980. And uh, it's funny you mentioned Barbarella because that's also a Dino De Laurentiis production. It's very similar to Flash Gordon. So if you liked Barbarella, you're going to love Flash Gordon. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, other things that come to mind... Uh, is Duck is Duck Dodgers a space opera? That old Looney Tunes cartoon, uh, ripping off of a uh, Buck Rogers. I don't. That's yeah. in outer space. I just like to imagine. You know, I, I I love me some Daffy Duck and whoever that alien guy is. What about Howard the Duck? <laughs> Howard the Duck. Oh my gosh. I I haven't seen that since I was a little kid, so I cannot comment on that too much. But the just seeing that li- the duck person kind of freaks me out. <laughs> kind of freaks me out seeing the duck person. Well, it's interesting, Cody, because uh, when I asked you, you know, what do you want to do for a space opera, you brought on Attack of the Clones. Dun, dun, dun. What uh, what inspired right. that choice out of all the space opera movies that you have seen, but also out of all the other Star Wars episodes? All right. Well, I know Star Wars is not generally the, the, uh, the film series that one would turn to when talking about the greatest of space operas. I mean, it's of course, it's a mm-hmm. multi-billion dollar film franchise and all. But if I were to pick a movie from that universe, I for a space opera topic like this, I would have to choose Attack of the Clones. It touches me in a very uh, dear way. I won't say in a special way. It's kind of t- weird talking like that. Anyways, <laughs> Attack of the Clones... <laughs> I love this film because there's a lot of mystery to it. And it's not just mystery. It it calls back to films that I love uh, in film noir, you know, a great detective story. And while it's not exactly a great detective story, if you've already <laughs> seen the original trilogy, you basically know who the bad guys are and what's coming up. But if you were to wipe away everything you knew and pretend that you don't know the difference between Darth Sidious's voice and Senator Chancellor Palpatine, then this is a great opera. This is a great mystery, uh, you know, if you're along for the ride. Interesting. I'm excited to hear you uh, as a fan talk about it. But uh, yeah, let's get into the movie. The, uh, the movie is described as 10 years after initially meeting, Anakin Skywalker shares a forbidden romance with Padme Amidala while Obi-Wan Kenobi investigates an assassination attempt on the Senator and discovers a secret clone army crafted by the Jedi. Um, Trevor, do we have any letterboxed reviews? Yes, we do. We have plenty of letterboxed reviews, but first I want to go over the tagline for Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. It is, a Jedi shall not know anger, nor hatred, nor love. What do we think of that? Beautiful. That's one of the uh, ten Jedi commandments, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually a pretty good tagline. It's funny, you want to start goofing on this movie immediately, but you look at the poster, which is absolutely beautiful. Tagline's pretty solid. Your plot detail that you read is very solid, but we're going to go into some reviews. What I like to do is I look to check out my activity from friends on Letterboxd. Letterboxd, see how I say it correctly now? Uh, I have a bunch. I have 22 friends who have watched this, uh, and I'm just going to go down the line. We have a two-star review, a one-star review, a half-star review, a one-star review, a one-and-a-half-star review, a one-star review, a one-star review, a two-star review. <laughs> so um, I'm just going to pluck one out of obscurity. We have one from Ree Han, listener of the show Ree Han here, one-and-a-half stars. Uh, Ree watched this on January 3rd, 2020, so not too long ago. And Ree says, God, if I took a shot every time Anakin said master, every time Anakin was horny, uh, I mean H-word, slash angsty, or every time I laughed at how bad this movie was, I'd be so dead of alcohol poisoning, my guts would invert into themselves. Yeah, I, I feel bad now kind of pooping on it because I know uh, Cody <laughs> likes it. No, I'm not. We're not. We, this is what my letterbox friend said. Yeah. So I'm just going to read one more letterbox review um, from... Uh, a future guest of the show, Diego Crespo. Diego says, not quite as good as the last Boy Scout. <laughs> okay. That's that, that's his arbitrary rating scales. He rates everything on whether it's as good as the last Boy Scout or not. And the last review here, I'll do another one, is going to be from a friend of the show and future guest, Craig Duffy. Craig gives it one star and says, hadn't seen this since theaters. I remember liking the action near the end, but I guess I was just desperate for something to like. Nearly two decades later, even the action scenes are boring. <laughs> so, Cody, this is where we're starting. We're starting with my letterboxed friends and friends of the show, listener of the show, uh, not liking this. Uh, so why don't we get into it, Adam? Let's start it up. Yeah, let's bring it back. Cody, tell me, what are some of the scenes that you say that touch you in a nice way? Well, let's see. Let's get down to um, all of this mystery about who the supposed bad guys are and aren't. Uh, you know, when we get to, well, it's kind of towards the end when Obi-Wan's been captured on the enemy planet. Mm -hmm. uh, he's being interrogated by Count Dooku. Oh no, my friend. This is a mistake, a terrible mistake. They've gone too far. This is madness. I thought you were the leader here, Dooku. This had nothing to do with me, I assure you. I will petition immediately to have you set free. Well, I hope it doesn't take too long. And to this point, the the Jedi have been kind of defending this guy. He's a he's a former Jedi who's now a politician. Uh, he's working on the you know the outskirts of the of the uh, galaxy, and he's kind of pulling together all of these different uh, planets and. Uh, sovereigns to form their own uh, kind of coalition. They don't like what the uh, what this uh, galactic uh, federation's been doing. You know how everything's been run so far. You know they want a little autonomy, and this includes some bad characters, which were the Nimodians. They were the bad guys from the first movie uh, mm -hmm. who took over the planet Naboo, mm -hmm. and ju just every scene with Christopher Lee is perfect. Perfect. Yeah. You can't. You you cannot diminish any scene that has him and I wish they would have had him in a little bit more they don't show him until basically the end would have been nice if they had him you know at the beginning when they're casting some doubt of whether or not he actually is a villain mm -hmm. but then once you get into some conversations between him and Ewan McGregor uh, discussing his past with uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi's former master Qui-Gon Jinn asking for Obi-Wan's help it's it's 
all a lot of fun in kind of throwing the shroud of the dark side over. Is Obi-Wan going to believe Count Dooku? Is Count Dooku... He's, Count Dooku's giving away his master. He's saying, hey, just to let you know, there is a Dark Lord of the Sith running the Senate right now. And you know what? There's just so much confusion going on that Obi-Wan doesn't listen. And sure enough, it was the Dark Lord of the Sith running everything. And yeah. that's that's the key here, I think. It's like anytime you get Ewan McGregor and Christopher Lee in a scene in this movie, it's like, oh, hey, look, the two best performances in the movie are finally coming to and acting together. We don't have to watch, um, no offense to Natalie Portman in any way. She's literally acting against tennis balls for most of this movie. But uh, to get away from the Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen scenes, which I know is like the major thing to shit on when you talk about Attack of the Clones. And then you get these two actors in a room together. You're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> thank God we can watch these two breathe and actually act together. Um, I, I do want to bring up first, though, uh, to give this movie a little bit of history. I, I, we, we usually ask, like, what is your history with this movie? I'm going to ask you the same thing, Adam. What's what's your history with this movie, Cody? Like, what, I know, obviously, you probably saw it. You're waiting outside in line, uh, just like I'm sure you did for Phantom Menace, just like all of us did. Mm-hmm. Um, what were your initial thoughts walking out of the movie theater after you saw Attack of the Clones opening night? As a, No, I'm pretty sure I had, you know, some... Um, not reservations about it, because I already seen the movie. There were some things I didn't like, but generally... Uh, I came out l- loving it for the most part, even because Phantom Menace, for some reason, you know, it was about a uh, young Anakin Skywalker. And I, as a little kid, I hated movies that featured little kids. <laughs> so I wasn't the biggest fan of the Phantom uh, Menace at that time. So this was a breath of fresh air getting to see an older Anakin finally uh, working together with Obi-Wan. They, hadn't, they didn't get to do any of that in the Phantom Menace. Uh, so so I, I, I loved it. I loved it. I, I loved the um, Count Dooku coming with his cape. Uh, so I was always a fan of the start now. But just over the years, as I've gotten to experience, uh, you know, a little bit uh, a more b- bigger variety of films, I've come to enjoy it even more as I've seen the various places where, you know, they've picked inspiration for the story in this film. Awesome, uh, Adam. And I have oh, two sorry. boxes. I have two boxes of cereal from two thousand and three or whenever this movie came out. It's two sealed boxes. I st- that's how much I love this movie because wow. I still have those sitting on my shelf. Did you uh, eat any of those? Did you buy extra boxes? I'm gonna save them for the thirtieth anniversary. Okay, I'm nice. excited. Hopefully, it tastes good. And still. then, yeah, we'll we'll see how the uh, stomach does. Yeah. I- <laughs> I don't know. This movie, I mean, I, I feel like I've always kind of seen it and known about it, um, but it's always kind of eluded me because I, it's probably the least watched Star Wars that I've seen. Um, I'm a big fan of episode one. I grew up with that. I watched it a lot on a portable DVD player. And so the second one, I really didn't wasn't able to be like uh, too into it or critical about it until I was older, which I think is the reason that I'm harsher on it maybe than Cody. Um you know, I, actually, I was just... I wear very, very tinted glasses. <laughs> which I appreciate. It's good to have that on here. Um, I was just looking at the iconic poster for this movie. Was Christopher Lee um, supposed to be like a surprise reveal? Because he's not on the poster. You know, as far as my recollection, I mean, well, no. During When the movie was coming out, I was looking at all the magazines, so I'd seen his toy probably. Oh. So I, I knew, And I'm pretty sure they called him 
Count Dooku, and I'm like, well, that's clearly the bad guy's name. Count anybody who's a count is going to be a bad guy, an aristocrat. Right. He doesn't know what the little man's struggling with. <laughs> And that's interesting because uh, Christopher Lee may have been a reveal in some way uh, because he had played one year earlier Saruman, right? In uh, The Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's like kind of this interesting thing where, I mean, how, okay, so Christopher Lee died in his 90s and that must have been in the early 2010s. So this would have been, so you would have been in like his 80s in these movies, this movie, Lord of the Rings. This thing really, really incredibly impressive. No, yeah, definitely. Especially once you see him get back to doing his thing with his swashbuckling sword work, uh, but this time a lightsaber. <laughs> it's amazing to see him, you know, moving around there with uh, Hayden Christensen and uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I was just going to say, Trevor, what is your history with it? Um, so my history with this movie is that I saw Phantom Menace, and like you, Adam, I was I was in, I was really interested that Cody picked the second one in the middle of the prequel trilogy because it just feels so plucked out of obscurity. <laughs> and Adam and I were talking before the record of how now you forced us to maybe watch the first and third one, um, and I'm really looking forward to watching the third one in, in particular because that's the one I actually remember the least of, other than the um, uh, I have the higher ground and you were the chosen one step towards the end, but. Um, I saw this opening night. I took a buddy, my best friend at the time, and you know, still my best friend, Tyler, uh, to see it. Uh, and he had never seen a Star Wars movie before. So he's watching this completely out of context, and it ends. And I remember my review of it was kind of turning to him and being like, uh, not all Star Wars movies are like that. <laughs> uh, but he was genuinely like, oh, yeah, that, it was fine. It was fun. It was whatever. Like, you know, he remember. I remember the Coliseum stuff. I remember the love story stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, what I didn't remember was like the I really okay so uh, Cody brings up a really good point and we need to give a little bit of context to the movie is that Lucas is obsessed and we know this from Indiana Jones and stuff like that but he's obsessed with the serials from like mm -hmm. the I think the 30s and 40s when he was growing up and if you watch like an old clip of like Flash Gordon if you just type in like on YouTube Flash Gordon Star Wars like Flash Gordon opens with like a, a crawl just like Star Wars does like he is literally making his version of Flash Gordon which is interesting because on the Flash uh, Jordan episode we talked about how George Lucas was approached to make this uh, Flash Gordon movie but anyways uh, Cody brings up a really good point that he's wearing all of his influences on his sleeves with his serials and then it this one just felt so noirish mm -hmm. when we started to get into Detective Obi-Wan and I really liked when he went and I think this is a scene that people make fun of but I really liked when he went to Dex's diner and like <laughs> it was like a full like um, noir movie you know it was like this like floating diner or whatever did, did you did you like that hook about it Adam? Uh, yeah I actually I love making fun of that part um, with my friends we, we refer to uh our hopeful uh, opportunity one day to watch a show about Dex and Obi going around solving mysteries. It's really, <laughs> it's really not Star Wars, but I do like that courage. It's it is ridiculous, and it, it unfortunately for me, if I'm gonna be critical of it, it feels a little bit shallow when it does come to like noir stuff because he just says Obi Wan, oh my old friend, oh yeah, I know about this piece. It's from over there, you know. It, it's it's pretty on the nose. Yeah, and Cody, just so you know, the way that we do the th uh, things, there's not much of a format at this point in the podcast anymore, so we kind of just going to pop around and talk about stuff we liked and didn't like. So, um, Okay, great. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's interesting because him wearing his uh, influences on his sleeve like that is like the movie is called Attack of the Clones. Like it is such like a 50s science fiction yes. name. <laughs> like have you ever thought about that? Yeah. Uh, I don't know why I said that. Uh, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about how weird that name is, Attack of the Clones? But it just really makes sense. Uh, it's just different when it's like 
a soul-crushingly 143-minute movie. Like when the when the crawl started going down, and I had to read about like the galactic politics, my eyes just started to glaze over because <laughs> I see Attack of the Clones, and I'm like, okay, this is going to be some like really interesting sci-fi 50s kind of. Uh, and then you get the noir stuff. Um, I see the crawl come down, and I see Attack of the Clones, and I'm excited for something kind of campy. And it is the movie is certainly very campy, but. You know, the second we get into any of those intergalactic uh, Senate meetings, it's just like, no, like, why are we doing this? Why are we not just following Ewan McGregor the whole time? See, and that might be a some, something that goes along with my uh, history of which Star Wars films I love, because they tend to be the uh, middle film of each trilogy. So I was a huge fan immediately uh, of The Last Jedi. And so knowing how different that Attack of the Clones is com- compared to the Phantom Menace and then the, the Revenge of the Sith, I think maybe that's why it sticks out to me. And I, I just like when they make the risks, even if, you know, the, the car slides up against the wall a little as it's pulling some maneuvers. You want to buy some death sticks? You don't want to sell me death sticks. I don't want to sell you death sticks. You want to go home and rethink your life. I want to go home and rethink my life. Um, here, here's a good opportunity to get into it. I think uh, for context we, going forward, we should have our personal rankings here. Um, so for the official, you know, episodes, not counting Solo or Rogue One, uh, Cody, what do you? What's your order? Ooh, Adam, we're playing Rankum. That's right. Wow, this is only the second time we've ever played this game on this podcast, Cody. The only other time we did it was on episode one, and we ranked <laughs> the films of Yorgos Lanthimos. So now you get to tell us your official rankings of the Star Wars. All right. No. Yeah. So I'm gonna start right off from the top. Mm-hmm. Last Jedi. I love it for all the reasons people hate it, and I hate it for all the reasons people love it. <laughs> Well, maybe not that last part. I, I was just trying to give a good sound bite. Mm-hmm. But no, yeah, that's going to be up at the top of my list, followed very closely by The Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. I love when Star Wars gets dark, and I love when films don't have the happy ending that everybody wants. It's kind of nuanced at the end. So that's why Last Jedi and Empire go right up there for the number one and the number two spots. Then I want to go for I the ones that I have just fun watching which are going to be Phantom Menace and I'll go ahead and put that as third and then fourth for Attack of the Clones. Surprisingly, which pushes down um, Revenge of the Sith. And I have fun with that, but, you know, just not as much fun as I have with uh, the Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace, I don't want to go too far into it. Let me just go through all (laughs) all the movies. So after Phantom Menace, then Attack of the Clones, then... Uh, a new hope i'll put a new hope then revenge of the sith and then return of the jedi all the way all the way down there what about uh, uh rise oh, of skywalker man. and force awakens the force awakens oh yes that's right those movies <laughs> <laughs> oh well uh right under right on the bottom i'm gonna put i i'm sorry to say i was not the biggest fan of the force awakens which is probably why the last jedi was such a breath of fresh air for me mm-hmm. And then the um, the very final film. Go ahead and put that way down to the bottom nice. uh, for me. <laughs> I now to be honest. I had a lot of fun. I saw that movie. Maybe wh- what episode was it? Episode nine. Nine. Yeah. I 
Yeah, so I saw it at minimum nine times because oh. that's just my tradition wow. with watching Star Wars movies in the theater. Interesting. <laughs> I watched it nine times in theater at the Dolby IMAX. I, so don't get me wrong. I am a huge Star Wars fan and I love all of my children. But that one's the ugly one. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Interesting ranking. Trevor, give me yours. Okay, so I have a big uh, bone to pick. Uh, not bone to pick. I have, I have a big difference to Cody's list because my favorite Star Wars movie is Return of the Jedi. So that was really, really low on his list. Um, yeah. It's the one I grew up on the most. It has, like, the most creatures. It has that awesome opening at uh, Boba Fett's palace. It has the... So the, the big thing that I credit Return of the Jedi with is, is making uh, what the Marvel movies use now in all their climaxes where they're cross-cutting between three major set pieces that are going on like every marvel movie ends that way it's like two people are fighting here two people who are fighting here and two people are fighting here return of the jedi uh return of the jedi really popularized that big time um number two is empire strikes back just like cody had number three is the last jedi so i agree with cody i really really like the last jedi uh number four is just a new hope uh which obviously wasn't very high on your list either cody yet I'm with you in terms of not like bowing at the altar of the original Star Wars. I, I think it's like this weird art house movie for like 40 minutes where it's just like robots walking in the desert. And you're like, what's going on here? <laughs> like, this is a really bold, like indie movie almost. Um, so, yeah, you have the original trilogy already there. You have uh, Last Jedi. Then I would probably go um, Force Awakens. Then I would go uh, Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace before Revenge of the Sith, then Attack of the Clones, and then Episode Nine. Uh, episode Nine I found to be completely forgettable. I saw it on IMAX and I don't remember most of it already. Interesting. It's interesting. You didn't watch it nine times. Yeah. Yeah. No, I uh, I truly don't remember any of it. Not, not, like even the cameos and stuff didn't hit for me. Uh, I, I don't want to get into it. Maybe we'll talk about Rise of Skywalker sometime. Well, but I I feel very 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 confident about that ranking. By the way. Yeah, it's nice to hear that Cody watched it nine times and it's still at the bottom of his list. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll give you. What's your list look like, Adam? Yeah, mine really quick. Uh, I have New Hope at the top as number one. Um, I really like that it's it's the only self-contained Star Wars really. Um, mm-hmm. But I like that yeah. older style. I like that it is kind of art housey and a little slower than the rest. Uh, then I would do Last Jedi second. That movie rules, and I'm glad that the three of us here all enjoy it. Uh, I, I, we're gonna definitely have Cody back on one day to talk about the Last Jedi. How, however, we can do it. Yeah. Um, and then uh, third, I would put Empire Strikes Back because it's cool. Uh, awesome. Then fourth, I would put uh, Phantom Menace because it is super enjoyable. Fifth, I would put Force Awakens. Actually, I did like it. I thought it was a solid enough, uh, you know, sort of reboot. Um, then sixth, I'd probably put uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith, uh, which is bad for my bottom three. I know we're going to have bones to pick here. God, this is insane. You guys not liking Return of the Jedi is so crazy to me. Is it, is it the Endor stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, dude, I fucking love that stuff. The, the, <laughs> the opening is cool, but yeah, the Endor stuff is just so slow and like kind of weak, I think. Um, oh, man, I, I love going to a, a forest planet. I'll tell you that. My, uh, yeah, that was, so th- it's, it's my relaxing movie. If I want to not actually watch it, but just kind of have it in the background that's the one i have on the background one of my proudest moments was playing the original star wars trilogy being the first drive into play in like 30 years in orange county and once we had gotten to the third movie i sat down and watched it and i was like yeah no this is my i sat down and watched like maybe 20 minutes of it but i was like no this is my favorite one like this is definitely my favorite one but sorry adam go on what's your bottom that's definitely my uh seventh and then i have attack of the clones sorry cody and then last is is episode (laughs) nine i thought 
such a waste. You know, I mean, there was such a cool buildup of, of story and nuance and subversion in uh, in episode eight. And then they just blow it all and because they're, they're worried about fanboys for episode nine. And I hated that. It seems like our list, uh, if you were to make like an aggregate list, it would be um, Empire Strikes Back and Last Jedi very high and Episode Nine very low, but also Attack of the Clones pretty low as well. Yeah, because well, <laughs> well, we, we all have uh, Episode Nine at the bottom. So Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, but let's, let's get back into uh, Episode 2, though. Um, yeah. Um, uh, Alexander, <laughs> every time I see AO, AOTC, I always think Alexandria <laughs> Ocasio the Cortez. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think of Attack on Titan Cool or something like that. Thank you for humoring me and letting me say that. Cody, tell me more about these things that you liked about the movie because uh, I, I want to be more indulged in it. Oh, certainly. Uh, just, it seems like it's just so many parts to it uh, from the various inspirations that Lucas had. You know, f- for one, the... Uh, the, the ending there over at the uh, with the three monsters going after our three heroes. It's like, tune in next week if you want to see what happens to uh, the Jedi and Padme. Um, you know, I love that kind of stuff. And then going, I don't know why I'm starting at the end, but I'm just going to work my way backwards. Obi-Wan's whole detective thing. But it all starting out with this intrigue about this assassination. Now, Maybe it's because I was a political science major. I, I have a little bit of appreci- more appreciation of the politics uh, coming into these uh, Star Wars f- films here. But And aren't the politics a little heavier in The Phantom Menace than this one? They are. It has to do with trade agreements and, you know, who's paying what tariff. And it's a whole lot of weeds to go through. Yikes. So from all of that bad blood from the first movie, it opens up with Padme... Um, being the target of assassination from the Trade Federation once again. And this is the uh, first event in a sequence of events that leads up to a total war uh, between multiple planets in this entire Star Wars galaxy. And that's what I love is that even though this film is called Attack of the Clones, you for one thing the clones are the good guys in this movie and they don't show up until the end and i i I don't um take any points away from it for having a you know a title about attack of the clones you don't see them till the end that's okay with me uh considering they cover that pretty much in the star wars clone wars uh cartoon series and then a little bit in uh revenge of the sith um Uh, cody can i i'm gonna can i jump in real quick my big question about 80% through the movie was, um, hey, uh, who and where are the clones? Like, I, <laughs> I, I could not figure it out. I know when we went to uh, the name, I can't remember the name of that Camino. awesome ra- rainy planet. Camino? Camino. Camino, yeah. I, I really liked when um, uh, Ewan Rigger was acting with Django Fett, and like in the background, you could see it was just pouring rain there near the ocean. I love the way that looked. Mm-hmm. But, um, I know they were making the clones on that planet, but I, I that was the massive, massive subversion of this movie was that the clones ended up being the good guys. I was like, what? wait, I could not believe because I remember there being a big war at the end. And I just assumed that the clones were the bad guys. But uh, that really caught me by surprise for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that people were looking forward to for a long time, ever since they heard just that small reference made to the Clone Wars back in A New Hope. And... I thought it. I, I I liked what they ended up doing with them. You know, uh, like a lot of people, I assumed that 
the clones were supposed to be the bad guys. You know, it's the attack of the clones, you know, coming to get the, the Republic or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was nice that they ended up making it. Actually, the clones are the good guys here. But if you've seen the original trilogy, you could tell that eventually they will be the uh, strong arm of the Emperor. Yeah, I like that. I didn't even realize that was a twist because, you know, I have sort of that growing up with Star Wars and not being a stupid kid watching most of them, I, I've sort of just absorbed everything at once. But it is kind of a cool, although ham-fisted twist with that title. Um, let's talk about the politics specifically, the uh, interesting, like, uh, what do you call it in chess, when you switch the rook and king around, but with uh, Padme and Jar Jar. So, I, this was a, I, this was George's vision, right? To have Jar Jar be the key to everything here, to have him be the most influential <laughs> senator on that floor and give all the power. And I kind of like that. You know, obviously he took uh, Jar Jar's role back significantly because people hated him so much. Misa proposed that the Senate give immediately emergency powers to the Supreme Chancellor. Uh, Jar Jar's the key to all of this. Yeah, I think about that line all the time. And he is. And say that line that you always say in your Jar Jar voice. Uh, uh, Misa loved the movies. <laughs> Misa, H word. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but what, what do you guys think about that? I actually really love that payoff with Jar Jar. Oh, yeah, I thought it was brilliant that, you know, he he was the fool of course mm-hmm. of the of the phantom menace uh but then you see as he got a much higher role in politics with the planet of naboo mm-hmm. and senator palpatine now chancellor palpatine is able to use this to his advantage i'm sure everybody out there i'm not giving any way spoilers that palpatine is the <laughs> is the bad guy is the dark lord of the sith but so him pulling these strings and now he has this perfect patsy to help get these gears moving for his ultimate plan of starting a war with himself, since he is in fact the overlord of the um, of the Confederates of the uh, Confederates from the other planets, mm-hmm. and I just I love that I love that he's playing both sides like like they say in the Big Lebowski, you know, you're playing <laughs> one side against the other. It's beautiful. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad that uh, we don't have politicians that are that evil or stupid in real life. <laughs> hmm. I love democracy. I loved the Jar Jar becoming what he became. It's such a middle finger to anybody who hated him in the first one. And by anybody, I mean most of the general public who saw The Phantom Menace. Right. I, I thought that was such a cool move. But here's the thing we haven't really gotten into it. And I, Cody has uh, put his heart in his sleeve here. And Adam, I haven't heard it from you, but my overall thoughts on the movie, because you know we're getting to the point where we're going to have to start rating it soon. I'm ready to grab my purple lightsaber and defend Attack of the Clones after watching it, man. Because it had been 15 years since I watched it. And being removed from it that much, from seeing it with my buddy Tyler opening night or whatever, I can see why people were pissed off about it. I really can. Because when you got a Star Wars movie every three years, that Star Wars movie had to be amazing, you know? Mm -hmm. And now we get a Star Wars movie like, well, before the the P word uh, happened, you get one like, like two a year or something like that. It was insane. So this kind of just felt like going back in time and watching like a pretty good episode of like a Star Wars TV show, you know what I mean? Uh, I thought the effects were pretty good. 
I other than the stuff that we have not even remotely touched on, and that is the love angle. Other than that, I thought a lot of the stuff was was pretty cool. Like, I, Adam, what did you think, like, overall? Well, I mean, we, there's the elephant in the room, and uh, it's George Lucas, you know, moving the medium of film forward in a way by shooting all digitally CGI, you know, pretty much everything. And I think it was an interesting choice. I don't know how I feel about it, because I know that's sort of uh, where the uh, Avengers movies and all that come from, you know, and it... I think a lot of people, you know, more pretentious people maybe could make a case against that for saying like, oh, they're not going and using real sets or whatever. But uh, I think it also makes movies easier to make, which is nice. We get more movies. But here, it just does not look the best. It looks better than Spy Kids, but I mean, it's it's not <laughs> far from it, you know? And that that's one of the things that makes it a little hard. Everything's a little stilted. The shadows aren't that real. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, we had this conversation literally on our last episode with Flash Jordan, and it was, and I literally said in that episode, like, oh boy, here's another podcast where we're going to talk about how we prefer practical to CG. But um, I don't know, that ship in the very beginning after the crawl came down, it, it flew by, and I was like, hey, that ship looks pretty good. And then the rest of the movie, you know, I, I am able to contextualize it as being like 15 years old at this point, or more than that. It came out in 02. So, you know, uh, next year, Cody is the 20th anniversary, right? We're going to do something special for that. I said I'd wait for the 30th to eat that cereal. Maybe I'll just do it next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not? Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, there's that famous uh, story about how George Lucas went to the set of Gangs of New York where, you know, Scorsese blows $120 million to rebuild the five points, you know, in New York. And he just basically looks around at all of these practical sets and he just says to Scorsese, like, uh, hey, Marty, uh, you know, you don't have to build these. This is, could just all be CGI. And Martin <laughs> Scorsese is like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, like it's just, it's just a different type of filmmaking. And um, did you, did you say that he pushed it? Did you, did you say he pushed filmmaking forward? Yeah. I, I believe the thing is that he, this is the first uh, digitally shot film completely. Right. Yeah. But, but, but I, but I, yeah, you're correct, but you're, you didn't say that he, took it back you know what i mean you said he pushed it forward so the, i agree with you he pushed film forward well, i mean with this now we have like two options right we have film and, and digital and i think a lot of people a lot of those big directors if you watch the documentary side by side um they talk about how digital is kind of like a mess but at the same time i mean digital opens up the opportunity for a lot of people who don't have the money to shoot film Absolutely. I, I shot my, I produced a short film. First thing I ever made was a uh, film and I vowed I would never do it again. It's just digital is just a lot easier for a young filmmaker. You hit the nail on the head there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Lucas opens up a lot of doors with this movie and, um, but we have to get into it. We have to talk about it because Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman are a massive part of this movie. Uh, Cody, what did you think? What do you think of the romance? What do you think of Hayden's performance? Natalie's? When I watch it back now, now at the time I could, tell like okay is that acting as you know as a kid watching this when when it first came out I was like okay okay um you know they don't have a great track record so far for their Anakins and of course no hate to Jake Lloyd he was just a little kid you know he was was doing the best he could um and as well as Hayden but now that I look back I love everything that Jake Lloyd did and I love everything that uh Hayden did I don't like sand it's coarse rough and irritating and it gets everywhere maybe that's just me you know getting over things or whatever criticisms i had originally but i i i love watching hayden's scenes because of the cringe that comes (laughs) with it because i understand you know he's 
in this cult. He's not allowed to have possessions. I mean, he he was already a slave, and now he, and he, or and may I point out that when he was a slave boy, he called the person who owned him Watto by his the name of his you know his name. But now that he's in this cult, he has to call this guy master, and this person master, and this person master. So, you know, it's pretty complicated things what might be going on in this uh, in this boy's head who is feeling all sorts of desires. He's 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 feeling young, but in love, and then the love of his life. You know, the the, the person who is there with him during the most important moments of his uh, youth suddenly comes back. You know, of all the gin joints in all the world, she she goes back into his temple or whatever. Um, but just kind of accepting of what his mindset as a as a Jedi who is supposedly, you know, Jesus Jedi or, you know, Superman Jedi. Uh, but he's still within this cult. He's he's got fetters on him. He's he can't do exactly what he wants. And I can understand how screwed up he is by all of that. So I think that Hayden actually did a pretty good job. Um, looking at it as a beat sheet of this movie, I do like it. I think there's a lot of strength there. And, and now you're convincing me more. Like, I do like that idea of uh, it, it does seem like there's a lot of focus on that character, which is cool. And a lot of buildup that you can kind of see from the first movie and you'll see into the next movie. Um, but I think it's still shallow. I think it's still like the line, you know, I hate sand. Like, yeah. Oh, it's cool because he lived on Tatooine. All right. Have you ever had sand in your shoes? Yeah, but I... I, I... Have you ever had sand in your shoes? <laughs> yeah, but I don't think I ever like, oh, I hate sand. It gets everywhere. You know, I think I think there's a lot of strength behind the scenes, but I think where it falls is is the dialogue and the direction and um unfortunately i a lot of people tend to defend hayden a lot and be like oh you know if you were given these lines in this direction you know but also i don't know he's 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 pretty one note in his deliveries for everything he doesn't range it at all and there's that joke in the beginning when he like steals the speeder and he's like i don't know master i was trying to find the best one you know i mean even I know how to play that maybe a little bit better. It could have been the direction that he was forced not to be like too jokey. But man, it was just a straight delivery. It was pretty hard to watch. Well, All right, top- little tangent. Uh, when when he gets that speeder and, you know, he's like he jumps off of uh, the building and, you know, is just falling for stories and stories and stories and lands perfectly on uh, somebody's cruiser. Mm-hmm. That, that, for me, is a confirmation that Mace Windu probably survived uh, Revenge of the Okay, Sith. I'll take it. Uh, Adam, I think you nailed it. Uh, he's underplaying a lot of stuff. Like, I don't think that's, like, a decision Hayden is making. I think that that's the direction. I mean, George is rusty, man. He hasn't made, you know, he made Phantom Menace, obviously, a couple years previous, but he hasn't directed a movie in a really, really long time. Um, and the reason why you know that Hayden was probably led astray by George is because you look at the performance of Natalie Portman and uh, listeners are not going to believe me. And I don't mean this in an H word way at all, but Natalie Portman is like the only reason to watch this movie. I feel like, like (laughs) I think that she has really, really good moments, but she also has really bad moments. And Natalie Portman is a brilliant actress. So if even Natalie Portman can't act well in these movies, uh, I don't, there's no hope for Hayden Christensen. There's either Hayden Christensen overplaying it 
he's either underplaying it or the worst scenes are when he's underplaying it and overplaying it in the exact same scene <laughs> where you're like, what is going on here, man? Like, I know we, I know we probably did five, six takes of this, but it just, it's just such a mishmash and his performances. And I know it gets better in revenge of the Sith. Cause I remember thinking that, that it certainly, he became a better actor during revenge of the Sith, but you know, that was George making his third movie in five years or whatever, you know? So maybe it's got to come down to the direction. And Hayden Christensen generally in other movies is much better than this. So uh, can't put too much hate on him. Just like Cody said, you can't hate on Jake Lloyd in The Phantom Menace, you know? Well, I was just going to say it was a, it was always interesting to watch uh, behind-the-scenes um, footage from The Phantom Menace and Episode 2 because you could – definitely tell uh, the look on a lot of people as George is explaining some of his ideas and concepts you could see in their face they want to say one thing but they just say yeah that's great that's great George <laughs> right like how, how can Hayden be like oh I don't know if I should trust you know George Lucas who brought me into his you know sacred Star Wars franchise I mean yeah that, that's what I mean is that you don't you don't tell George Lucas I don't know, George, should I play it like that? This <laughs> character that you made up 30 years, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, you don't say no to him. Right. But um, So moving on real quick, though, uh, away from the Hayden Christensen performance, because we could talk about that all day. What was the initial audience reaction when you first saw Attack of the Clones when Yoda and Count Dooku had their lightsaber fight? Because my audience, I, I cannot remember a bigger reaction from an audience ever, ever. And the throne room scene in Last Jedi got a really, really big pop in my theater. But that fight between Yoda and Count Dooku got a huge reaction from my audience. Yeah, no, I definitely remember that. Um, that was one of the things I was looking forward to because I forget if they accidentally already revealed. No, I'm pretty sure they did. They released like one of those visual guides to the movie uh, before the movie came out, which they don't do that anymore, thankfully. They, they wait they tend to wait till after the movie comes out so that we could keep some secrets. But, uh, that there was, I could feel the anticipation for that one. As soon as Yoda starts to pull open that cloak and then hearing the people go wild is that, you know, that's the first time they've maybe been waiting. What was it? 20, 25 years or something to see that since they first saw Yoda. Yeah, absolutely. Adam, do you remember any, any reaction from the audience? Not at all, but it's interesting that you bring that up because, uh, I was thinking about it and I was like, Man, I don't know. This could go either way. I could see people thinking like this is really silly, but I could also see people just like really getting into it. It, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It's just the concept and they just start losing their shit and they don't really even pay attention to the scene. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah. The build up to it is good enough. Because I remember my, my uh, last Jedi audience, you could tell um, once like the Leia floating through space stuff, you, you could tell that uh, Ryan had basically lost the audience by the time the throne room happened. Mm -hmm. And then there was still this huge pop for the throne room. And it was so interesting. Like, wait, you guys are not liking this movie, but you're loving this scene. Mm -hmm. So audiences, especially opening night audiences that are diehards, they're pretty fickle in their reaction to stuff. You know, you go see a movie two weeks later and people are not cheering in the theater. Just a little side note. Yeah. On last Jedi opening night, I could tell there were just so many, uh, there was a range of emotions and some confusion. Cause definitely it all started, I think right from Luke, throwing the lightsaber over his right. shoulder and th that's when the ship was rocking and people some people got their sea legs some right. didn't absolutely i agree with you i remember talking to my friends about it afterward and i loved it and they were like citing that like but it's perfect it's a i think it's a great movie all about subversion and brings a bunch of new stuff to the series but i guess you know we won't get into that we all agree 
and movie rules. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that another time. Yeah, we'll but yeah. Um, should we move on well, to rating this baby, uh, or does it? Oh, Cody, you seem like you want. Well, to one thing I did want to cover, yeah, because uh, I just kept spewing on and on about detective stories and stuff like that. But what I really love about this film, for me, is the payoff at the end. That despite all their efforts and everything came together for the bad guys to where they end in galactic warfare this this republic hasn't seen war for years and years and years they don't even have an army until they came face to face with this um confederacy who was planning to break away i have to admit that without the clones it would not have been a victory victory Victory, you say? Master Obi-Wan, not victory. The shroud of the dark side has fallen. Begun. The Clone War has. I just love seeing the the look on Bail Organa as he is watching the this massive amount of soldiers loading up onto their warships, ready to go make war throughout the galaxy and of course you know not to get all serious war you know but war is horrible nobody wants to go to war and th- this these people are now f- faced with this great uh what is it not not catechism that's what you uh cataclysmic event of that there's going to be destruction everywhere and there's going to be a lot of cost and a, a lot of things lost and Despite what the Jedi tried to do, they actually instigated the war, I think. When you go back to rewatch it, uh, they uh, invaded a sovereign planet. And and these uh, bugs uh, on Geonosis, they were sure they were going to execute, you know, a Jedi and a senator. But they were trespassers on their sovereign land. They invaded them. And then here comes the big army to take care of everything. But that's the start of the war. That They, they, they could have just let Obi-Wan, Anakin, and Padme die. Of course, that wouldn't work out for the, for the rest of the movies, you know, since we know what's supposed to happen. But just knowing that if they would have only sacrificed those three people, there might not have been an empire. Yeah, I, I love that ending scene. I like that, yeah, we get the first battle of a big war in, like, the third act of this movie. I mean, this movie really goes all over it, and it, you feel it, too. It is cool. I love that scene when they're looking over the armies. Um, would it... Do you? Cool. I've seen it. It's a tragedy. It's sweet. I don't know. It's, it's a big buildup. Um, luckily, I'm far enough removed. Would it have been, would it have been a big, uh, like, a cool twist? And I know they kind of wanted you to think this way, but... To have Count Dooku and the Trade Federation and all them have been actual good guys and just have known about the Sith, like, in the Republic? That's the interesting thing, is that you really could see, still see them as the good guys. Even if you go back to the Phantom Menace, for all we know, the Trade Federation was doing the right thing in taking over the planet of Naboo. Of course, they were under the control of the Lord of the Sith, mm-hmm. but, you, I mean... We don't really know that much about all these other planets. We don't know if they their end game is to, you know, use an army to rule over other people. They just, I mean, 
course, <laughs> don't want to make any comparisons to actual uh, confederacies. But in terms of this Star Wars confederacy, it, I think it's a little bit more nuanced of whether or not they are the bad guys or not. I think so, too. And I do kind of like that. Although once you bring the Sith into it and everything, then it's there's no question. Yeah. Yeah. When you know about that, it's pretty obvious. Um, there's one last thing I want to bring up here, and it's the fact that why in space hell does Amidala like Anakin? He's annoying. He just complains all the time. I can't see anything there. He also spills his guts about killing uh, men, women, and children like right before she realizes she loves him. Yeah, what's going on? What kind of love story is this? I mean, that's the major, major flaw that people make fun of in the movie is that they're like, what in the world does Amidala see in uh, Hayden Christensen other than the fact that he looks like Hayden Christensen? Like, he's a true sociopath. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know. And never mind. I, I'm gonna scratch that from the record because Anakin is no suave. You know, uh, he he's he's not the master codebreaker mm -hmm. in uh, <laughs> the Last yeah. Jedi, the poet with a blaster. Right. He is pretty gush darn whiny. So you know what? No, I I give her no credit at all for falling in love with Anakin. Yeah, but when you have people going around saying that he's maybe the most talented Jedi they've ever seen, there is something there for sure. Okay, now you've brought me around because. Yeah, he is supposed to be Jedi Jesus or Superman, so there he does have that going yeah, for him. Amidala yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's a, a clout chaser. I mean, it's complicated. It's com like, like the whole prequel trilogy is we can agree or maybe we can't agree, but I know Cody's going to agree with me that everything in these three movies is more interested than anything in The Force Awakens and certainly Rise of Skywalker. So there, there's, there's complicated here, here. stuff going on here. Uh, that just adds to it. But I want to get to box office real quick, and Adam, you'll lead us into rating this movie, okay. but... Um, this is really interesting. So, um, The Phantom Menace comes out, of course. It's the first movie, the first Star Wars movie in, like, 16 years. Uh, and that makes over a billion dollars worldwide, $1.02 Um The Revenge of the Sith makes $850 million worldwide. But this one in the middle makes $653 million worldwide. I'm, that's a massive dip from the first one. And then you don't usually see the box office go up for the third film of the trilogy. Um, maybe the word got out that people really, really didn't like this. Maybe people felt burnt from the Phantom Menace. But like Cody said, Cody, would you agree that this movie is kind of the dark? Is this the two towers of this trilogy? Is this the darkest one of the three, or do you think the third one's the darkest? Ooh, uh, no, the third one's pretty gosh darn dark. Okay, yeah, but I thought so. They're, they're, if if not for the third one, then uh, yeah, definitely, but. Maybe I'll, I'll I'll put them on a somewhat even plane and I'll fluctuate. I'll I'll strike the record again sometime in the future. <laughs> yeah, this just has this box office thing that some trilogies have sometimes where the second one just doesn't do as well as the first and third one. That There's no real reasoning to it other than people are like, I know a third one's coming out, so I guess I'll just see that one. Or the first one comes out and they want to get on the hype. But um, let's find out how this one's going to do on our scale, Adam. Yeah, let's go for it. Uh, Cody, are you ready to rank this bad boy? Yes, All I right. am. So I'm going to, we have a special set of categories to rate space opera movies here on Ghost Party Radio. It's an extremely arbitrary system. I'm going to ask you these questions. You give me a number one through 10. Feel free to explain it and we'll uh, go around, see what our numbers get to. Cool. Uh, category one, Cody. How grand is the scope of this movie? How epic? How cool are the different planets? Things like that. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I think I would have to put this at maybe a six or a seven, uh, only because 
of the repeats of the planets that we see. I think like the only new planet we see is Camino and Genosis. But here my thing. We go back to Tatooine and then at the end of the movie, we go to another planet that kind of just looks like Tatooine. Uh, but it's infested with a bunch <laughs> of bugs. We go back to Naboo. Mm. I guess we see some planes. I don't know. I, I, I've seen planes already. <laughs> and, uh, of course, Coruscant. That's kind of cool. We get to see the underbelly of Coruscant. Mm. Uh, not like we did in The Phantom Menace. But, you know, if you've seen... Um, uh, what's Harrison Ford's other movie where he's in the Blade future? Runner. Blade Runner. <laughs> Blade Runner. Yeah. I mean, you, you see all the all the things that George pulled as we've talked mm -hmm. about. So it's not entirely impressive for me in terms of scope. What about cool space stuff? Space stuff? Well, no. Once again, it's going to rank pretty low because <laughs> we've seen, we we see uh, Obi-Wan getting chased by Jango Fett in an asteroid field and pretty sure I already saw somebody getting chased in an asteroid field <laughs> in Star Wars. Trevor? Um, yeah, so Cody, you go with a 7 on that one? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go slightly higher. I'm going to go with an 8. I think this is where the prequels really excel in terms of scope, how epic they are, um, how many different planets we go to. Uh, I don't want to repeat a lot of the stuff that Cody said, but um, I felt the weight of it, especially with the war at the end. I'm, I'm going to go with an 8. Interesting. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with an 8, too, uh, because I haven't seen the other Star Wars in a while, so I think that kind of helps with the planets. There. And this is supposed to be the movie that I love. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, by the way, in terms of CGI, I do think that... that fight in the asteroid belt look pretty darn solid mm -hmm. it looks mm -hmm. good it definitely does um, and it's fun it makes me want to play a video yeah. game uh, are you a battlefront 2 guy cody i'm a battlefront 1 kind okay. of guy um <laughs> i tried playing battlefront 2 but i'm still playing the battlefront 1 you know not the old old school one the the, the most recent battlefront oh. one uh i am i'm not a troll but i i i get a lot of messages from people who get very upset at the whatever it is i do <laughs> Good. Uh, I'm actually an old school Battlefront 2 guy, and that's where I learn all these planets and whatnot. I love that game. Um, but let's get to category two. Cody, how colorful is this movie? Let's see. Well, <laughs> I I would probably put it, I'll, I'll, I'll go up from the seven to an eight because I'm just fixated on the planet. See, this is one of the reasons why uh, Return of the Jedi didn't sit well with mm -hmm. me because of going back to Tatooine and uh, being on a desert again. When I think of episode two, I just constantly think of deserts and rocks and stuff because of Geonosis and Tatooine. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's it's got some color in there. There's bunch of green lightsabers and a bunch of blue <laughs> lightsabers so i'll give it an eight for lightsabers okay. trevor Ooh, lightsabers brings a, a whole a, that's, a, that's a horse of a different color there um all i have stuck in my head is oh that wait yeah. uh, let's upgrade it to nine you got a purple lightsaber <laughs> okay cool you give it a nine uh, i'm gonna give it a six i'm gonna go a little lower on this one um because all i have stuck in my head is that planet that Cody mentioned at the end with the bugs on it and how everything kind of just looks like Tatooine until it's not Tatooine. This is a big problem in the Star Wars franchise for me. There was some color in there for sure. I'm giving it with a six. Yeah, I, I'm in a similar camp. I'm going to give it a five. I mean, we just had Flash Gordon, King of Color, and this compared to it is like a black and white movie. Yeah, yeah. Which kind of fits in with the noir thing, but I don't know if they were doing that <laughs> on purpose. That's fair. Um, category three, Cody, how fun and optimistic is this movie? Uh, I almost have to rate those separately or is that still on a scale? Yeah, that's still on one scale. Uh, 
well, I'll have to put it in the middle because I it's a lot of fun for me going on this mystery adventure, mm-hmm. but it's also very depressing ending with uh, everybody's going to be going to war and all. So I'll put that in the middle. It's kind of, I'm not sure how to rank it, so I'm just going to put it at five. Okay. Uh, that's a perfect score. I'm also going with a five. I had written it down before Cody said it. Perfect, perfect, perfect answer. There's a lot of darkness in this. Uh, it's not very optimistic, but the movie as a whole, I found to be completely fun. I feel, I have this new routine where I get home from the drive-ins and I'm knocked out, man. I'll shower, I'll light some candles and I'll throw on a movie and it's just a total time for me. And I threw on Attack of the Clones last night and I had a blast watching it. But you're right, it is kind of a downer, so I got to go right in the middle. I'm going with a five. Yeah, same here. I, I really enjoyed watching it again. I, I didn't expect to, and I was I was ready to come onto this podcast and just, you know, berate it. But uh, five also because I do <laughs> like that darkness here. Um, category four: How reluctant slash unprepared is the hero? Prepared. Reluctant, yes. unprepared. Okay. Yeah, he seems pretty gosh darn uh, reluctant and unprepared. I mean. Uh, so number-wise, I'll put it at a 9. I don't want to ever give anything 10 or 1. Okay. Um, he's a whiny little kid. He doesn't know what he wants until, except that, you know, when there's a lady around, uh, the love of his life, uh, he knows that he wants that. But he, he wants to be this great Jedi, but he is struggling heavily being under the control of the cultish Jedi and not being able to you know he's not able to go save his mom in time because they say stay on this planet and then he's too late to go take care of that he's almost too late to go save obi-wan uh so okay i'm gonna downgrade it back to a because (laughs) you know by the time his mom dies he's like okay let's i can't do that again we got to go save obi-wan um so yeah i'll put him at an eight um, I think he's not reluctant in any way. He uh, kind of oversells his skills because everyone keeps telling him how amazing he is, but he is extremely unprepared. We're giving it a seven, uh, and we get kind of a giveaway of that when we have the scene and the um, the scene with C three PO says, "Wow, it's machines making machines." Profound, which I thought was a really funny line. Um, he like can't even beat the machines, like so he's really uh, super unprepared. I think to take on what he thinks he can take on. I'm giving it a seven. Right. We didn't talk about mm-hmm. that factory scene, but if I had to remove one scene from the movie, there you go. Um, I, I think I'm going to give it an eight also. Actually, I think he is, uh, I would say he is reluctant to listen to, you know, the wise men around him. He's, he's reluctant to like, to, to clock himself and see where his abilities actually lie. And, uh, that brings us to category five, Cody. How cool is the tech? I want to rank that at... I'll probably give it an eight. I love um, Django Fett and all of his mm-hmm. gear. We get to see a lot of stuff that we didn't see Boba Fett do uh, in terms of using his jetpack correctly. <laughs> he has these cool like razor things that pop out of his arms as he's sliding off of the roof. He's got his rope whip, which we, of course, saw um, o- uh, Boba Fett using. But this time we see him wrap it around obi-wan's arms and drag him around with the jetpack so it's pretty cool getting to see Django. and also i'm pretty much going to base this all off of Django fett we get to see his ship uh the i think it's the slave one or is or is that boba fett yeah we get to see it using all of his weaponry in in those couple of scenes with obi-wan chasing through the asteroid field so i'm going to give the tech 
Oh, plus also I love robots, so getting to see more uh, battle droids and such as that, that's always great for me. So, nine. All right. Um, I think think it's as simple as this. Uh, There's a ton of lightsabers in this movie. Uh, And there is literally no cooler tech on film. I think it skates completely on that. I'm giving it an eight. Nice. Uh, yeah, I'll give it an eight. Also, if 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 this was a if this was a double sided lightsaber, I'd give it a nine or higher. Also, yeah, Django's <laughs> pulse bombs I think are so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, now our bonus category: How evil is the villain? See, it's kind of hard for me if I want to, you know, name the villain as Chris Lee when, in fact, you know, I know Sidious is the overarching baddie, yeah. which of course I would give him a ten, but I would give. I'm going to concentrate on Christopher Lee's character and give him an eight or a nine in the mindset of a person who is watching the movie, wondering where exactly his allegiance is since, you know, he kind of gives away the ending to Obi-Wan, but you know, Obi-Wan doesn't Mm -hmm. listen. Uh, I'm also giving an eight, which is, uh, these are, these are bonus points, Cody. So this is big two eights in a row. It's a big, big uh, get for attack of the clones. Count Dooku is a name that I still remember having watched the movie 15 years ago. Christopher Lee is like he played Dracula, like Cody mentioned in so many of those Hammer movies. Saruman, um, Saruman, right? He's Saruman, not Sauron. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I would hate to have misspoken on that twice, but um, just a just an iconic actor. I remember in his waning days before he passed away, he was in still like a metal band, which was fucking <laughs> yeah. awesome. Um, I'm giving it a solid eight. Interesting. Okay, I'm going to give it a five. I mean, uh, I don't think he's that evil. He's an underling, you know, looking at it here. And at one point, he's just sort of like, right, you know, in a way. He's like, yeah, the Republic is run by a bunch of evil people. You know, he knows it. Oh, man, you're right. Well, we see where your allegiance is. (laughs) Yeah, you make a good point, actually, Adam. I'm going to I'm going to downgrade mine to a seven. Uh, I was basing him off of like Ming the Merciless. I just like this performance better and think he's better. But you're right. I'm going to downgrade mine to a seven. Okay. He really just does do a lot of talking, except for the uh, lightsaber battle at the end. But yeah, I will stay at my position. Okay. All right, Trevor, what's what are the numbers here? All right. Well, the numbers are Cody out of a potential 50 points, right? Because we don't count the bonus category. You have given Attack of the Clones 48 points. (laughs) Pretty high. (laughs) Very, very, very high. Uh, I have given the film 41 points, which is very, very, very high. And then, Adam, you've given it 13 plus 5 is 18, plus 8 is 26, plus 8 is 34, plus 5 is... You've given it a 39 out of 50. (laughs) Okay. It might be the uh, first time that my numbers more accurately re- reflect how I felt about the movie. Yeah, yeah. well, 39 out of 50 is still really, really strong. So let me add all three of these up. You all talk among yourself. I've definitely got a lot of criticism for this film. I feel like it, w- I mean, they did do a Clone Wars show, and I feel like this movie would have worked out better um, split up between the stuff that goes on with. Um, Geonosis and maybe even Tatooine separate away from the uh, assassination plots and attempts. Yeah, it's a bummer we lost Keira Knightley within like the first like minute of the movie or shit blows up. <laughs> uh, we also got a Rose Byrne in there who I love. Uh, she had one line in the movie. Then we had some Joel Edgerton. Did anyone notice yeah. Joel Edgerton in there? His, his half uh, Some amazing starts here. Uh, so I will say this is the second episode of our space opera Odyssey. Uh, Flash Jordan 
got 121.75, and we generally really liked that film. Cody, your film that you brought in has garnered 128 points. So it absolutely wiped the floor with Flash Gordon. Oh, man. Ding, 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 ding. Which makes sense because when you think of space operas, I mean, when I think of it, I just think of literally the poster of the original Star Wars with uh, Luke Skywalker reaching up to the sky and the lightsaber coming out. Like, that is what I think of as a space opera. So the fact that even, no offense, even Star Wars Episode Two can get 128 points, I think that the rest of the movies have a lot of work cut out for them. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's fair, I think. I think, yeah, like Cody was saying earlier in the episode, these are the, you know, pinnacle space opera movies these are the most famous and probably just the most accurate yeah because you're t- you have a filmmaker george lucas who grew up on these serials and stuff who is literally taking all of his influences like we mentioned and putting them into you know this is this is such a weird movie and cody like adam said thank you for bringing it on uh i love that you bring it on and you talk about it so positively because that's what i want this show to be about and i always tell adam to stop being so negative about these movies, man. Because he, I'm like, does this guy even like movies sometimes? <laughs> yeah, I get a text every morning from Trevor saying, stop being so negative. All right, Cody, let's move on. Uh, have you thought of a category for our outro to Space Opera episode? We're going to be giving away our silver ghosties, uh, the Space Opera ghosties. Uh, we named the awards after the guests, so we're going to be giving away the Cody Chavez Award for what? It's the Cody Chavez Award for Biggest Battle. Okay. Oh, I like yeah, that. I like award. that. Cool. So the Cody Chavez Award for Biggest Battle. Perfect for our space opera series. We have a lot of movies coming up where there's going to be big old battles. Uh, I think Star Wars 2 Attack of the Clones has a very good shot at it, though. I will say if Star Wars 2 Attack of the Clones wins this award or any other award, Cody, you unfortunately do have to leave a message on my phone that we will then play <laughs> in the outro episode of you accepting the award. So you may have Excellent. just given yourself a little more work. I look forward to it. But I think that just about does it. Cody, do you have any plugs? Yeah, sure. Uh, so as I've said, we aren't doing, of course, any live events currently, although you can catch us over at the Frida Cinema's drive-in screenings occasionally. We're doing trivia every once in a while. Show up early, answer some questions, win some glow sticks, as we've been given the we've been giving out some glow sticks lately. Uh, but you can also catch us on the usual Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Nostalgic Nebula. But you're going to want to be paying attention to our YouTube page right now, youtube.com slash Nostalgic Nebula. That's where we're doing our series of YouTube watch parties. You can watch the cast and crew of 13 Ghosts, Street Fighter, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, Hellraiser 2, and uh, most recently, Beetlejuice. We had the behind-the-scenes crew doing a really great director's commentary for that. So go ahead and check us out, youtube.com slash Nostalgic Nebula. Cody. What do you got coming up next? Uh, Well, we've got some surprises. I don't want to announce anything, but uh, possibly, possibly, because I don't want to promise anything. Uh, Ninja Turtles 2, looking to doing a watch party for that coming up in March as it'll be celebrating its 30th anniversary. I'll stay glued to that Nostalgic Nebula Instagram. And you two as well out there in podcast land. Adam, let's hear those plugs. Uh, Please follow me at Projector Fuel on Instagram and uh, check out my website, adamjcwagner.com for all my film stuff. Trevor? Uh, My letterboxed, my letterboxed is at Captain Dills where I keep uh, running a cord of all of the movies we've been watching on Ghost Party Radio. Cody, do you have a letterboxed? 
I do not. Yeah, you need to get on Letterboxd. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I will. Both of you need to get on Letterboxd. I know Adam won't because he doesn't realize that that is the future of film criticism. My personals <laughs> on Instagram and Twitter are at Trevor Dills. And always follow us at Ghost Party Picks. We want to hear from you, the listeners. Rate and reviews. Uh, subscribe us on Apple Podcasts. Smash that follow button on Spotify. And Adam, uh, we're on Google Podcasts now? Uh, that's right, Trevor. For all you Google heads out there, check us out. I mean, I, I don't know where you're listening to this and you hear that, but, you know, it's on Google. Tell your friends. Awesome. Cody, this was a delight. When you said Attack of the Clones, I was giddy to get back into the prequels. I know a lot of prequel defenders, <laughs> and I can finally join them in defending the prequels. I'm very excited about it. Yeah, it was great being here, guys. We'll have to do this again for The Last Jedi someday. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much, Cody. And thank you to my uh, Sandy co-host here, Trevor Dillon. And thank you to all the listeners out there for checking out Ghost Party Radio. Trevor, we have officially... Attack those clones. Bye. Bye. Mm, that's a 10. <laughs>